Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome back to Wazza Business, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. And what a night it was on the overseas markets. The Dow hit 30,000 overnight, but we have our own milestone uh, here to celebrate on Ausbiz today. Um, we've got 25,000 subscribers and we couldn't have reached this point without a whole, your supporters, viewers. So a big thank you to all of you for supporting us over the past eight months. And uh, we welcome and to celebrate, we've got the A-team in terms of the calls expert panel. Michael Wayne from Medadium Financial. Michael, how are you? Yeah, good. Congratulations good to, to Ausbiz. Yeah, yeah. Number well, 25. And also something like 75, 80% of people tune in every day, which is fantastic. Well, hopefully so, we don't great. lose any followers after today. Exactly right. All right. It will be a, 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 we can see minute by minute. So <laughs> the pressure is on. And also our favourite Queenslander is on today, Andrew Wheelock from DP Wealth Advisory. Andrew, uh, how are you, sir? And can I say on behalf of the rest of the country, thank you for leading us across the border as of uh, next week. Yeah, look, Koshi, uh, good. We we need to let the Mexicans Mexicans in occasionally. So uh, yeah, look, it's uh, congratulations, twenty five thousand subscribers. Awesome effort. Can't wait to see uh, the next twenty five thousand and beyond. Well done yep, to you and Kyle you. and the rest of the team. And thank you to to both of you for being part of the success here at uh, at Ausbiz as well. Um, let's get into your uh, ten stocks. Before we do, I always choose a stock of the day. Today, I thought I'd take a look at APA Group, um, one of the uh, infrastructure plays, sort of conservative um, and a good dividend yield as well, set to invest up to $460 million in a new pipeline connecting gas fields in the Perth Basin with the Goldfields region in a bid to unlock millions in investments, aiming to be operational by the middle of 2022 now. Um, Andrew, it's one of those conservative stocks. Um, uh, it's been described to me as, you know, you have Transurban, which is toll roads. APA is sort of like a, a toll gas pipeline, is it? Yeah, exactly right, Koshi. A couple of things to like about it started by a Queenslander. So uh, obviously it's got to be uh, okay. Mick McCormick, who's uh, just from down the road in Warwick. But uh, Koshi, the main thing we like about it is it's an unregulated asset. So you talk about uh, Sydney airports, you talk about Transurban. These returns are actually capped uh, relating to agreements they have with government. Um, APA doesn't have those handcuffs for the want of a better term. So, uh, and it transports 99% of Australia's gas, some, some silly numbers. So yeah, lots to like about APA, very comfortable with it. Obviously, he's been hurt by rising bond yields and the impact uh, for their pricing. But in the context of a defensive business that's really well run, very comfortable with it, very relaxed, and we have a lot of clients holding it. How do you explain it to clients in terms of being part of their portfolio? What, what does it contribute to it? 
So it's really sort of that defensive nature. So you've got some some stocks or shares that sort of zing along that uh, have got a bit of get up and go about them. You know, your buy now, pay later's or, you know, whatever the, the current thematic yeah. is. And then you've got some that are just going to act as a bit of an anchor, hold you steady when uh, when things are going a bit awry, like March 23 is an example. Yeah, yeah. And so subject to your attitude to risk, just as an example, you might be 70% more growth focused, and then you might have 30% that are sort of more defensive, will hold you in good stead regardless of what's going on. And you'd certainly put APA into that 30% basket. All right, so, um, okay, take my mum, for example, who's whinging to me at the moment about how horrible term deposits are. Uh, Where do I get a better income return with not a big increase in risk? If you look to putting together an income-producing sort of portfolio based on equities, is would APA fall into that mix for people who are after income because they're dissatisfied with term deposits? Uh, yes, sorry, I was, I was about to say 100% to you through those last two words in there uh, relative to term deposits. I mean, we're not comparing like with like a term deposit. The returns are terrible, but a dollar will always be a dollar. And in fact, up to 250000 uh, in the case of uh, government guarantees. But if we're talking about just trying to drive better income and you're prepared to accept some volatility, because that's what happens when you invest in the share market, of course, then at a 4.7% return this year and 4.9, nearly 5% forecast dividend return for next year, certainly looks really attractive. And again, because of its defensive nature, gas consumption isn't going to change greatly in case the world falls into an absolute screaming heap. So APA would be certainly part of uh, okay. the puzzle in, in that regard. But it as a buy at these levels? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at consensus, okay. consensus is eleven twenty-four, and where are we at the moment? Ten okay. sixty odd. So we've been buying them since two and three dollars, and, and still continue to be relaxed in doing so. Okay. All right, Michael. What do you think of APA? Um, the question is whether there's much growth in this company because they are pretty much a monopoly these days. They are facing some regulatory headwinds in that it's going to be more and more difficult for them to keep expanding and acquiring competitors because the government's just not going to stand for it. Yeah. You've also got a situation where the government's trying to put it downward pressure on utility prices and that plays into things as well. But in an environment where interest rates are as low as they are um, and the income that you can receive on something like an APA is very attractive in, in relative terms. So for that reason, I do think it will continue to be supported for that reason. But right. The years, if you go back sort of a couple of years, you'll see when the price took off. I think those years are probably behind us right. uh, and it'll probably go into a period of just steady consolidation. And the steady primary, yeah, the a, primary return will come from your income. Yeah. You might get a little cherry on the top occasionally with some capital growth, but that wouldn't be my expectation. Right. So as part of uh, a portfolio? A yield portfolio, portfolio of a conservative investor, this would sit in there. But as right. a growth investor, uh, and most of our clients wouldn't want to own something like this. Right. Cause okay. Just because there are probably better growth alternatives out there. Okay. So for conservative investors? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, Michael, our first um, stock to take a look at on behalf of viewers is G8 Education, Cyrus wants a view on that. Um, uh, big childcare centre operator, uh, uh, managing childcare centres right around the country, um, under a class action at the moment from Slater and Gordon. 
Uh, yeah, I saw that. And this was like a, a market darling going back yes. five years ago, this company. They had a pretty simple roll-up acquisition model. They would go around, acquire privately run childcare centers, you know, for four or five times earnings, incorporate it into their business, and then get the market multiple of 10, 20 times earnings. Yeah. So it was very easy early on. They'll go and pick up the quality assets, the low-hanging fruit, and it was all going to plan. And then what ended up happening is once all those low-hanging fruit were picked up, they started having to increase the multiple that they were paying for these childcare facilities. Yeah. And the synergies that they were able to extract didn't necessarily come through. Because although it sounds good in theory, there are a lot of regulatory uh, guidelines that these companies need to meet and these operators yeah. need to meet and need to have a certain number of and staff. And that's a class action from Sader and Gordon. They didn't disclose that's right. that extra regulation on the cost of it. That's right. So they had all these things around their earnings guidance, around regulatory yeah. costs. So for us, it seems like it's a good turnaround story based on historical performance. But again, its business has been in the doldrums and doing it tough for a number of years now. And you want to see that cleaned up before you looked at it as an investment, although it does look ostensibly cheap. Uh, there's probably some more skeletons in the closet here. They were carrying a lot of debt at one point because they had to take on some debt to fund these acquisitions and that debt wasn't used, used optimally or efficiently. So from my point of view, it's a, a steer clear. Okay. Andrew, what do you think of G8 Education? Oh, Koshi, it's a Queensland company and it's not a good one. Uh, it's not a good one. And that chart, which we just had up before, you know, it's going in the wrong direction, top right to bottom left. You want it sort of, you want it inverted, you going bottom left to top right. So the chart doesn't look flash. And if you look at that, there we go, one we prepared earlier. And if you can go it even further, it's even uh, worth reading. If you look at their returns, you know, they've lost... Over the last three years, just as an example, they've lost 31% per annum total return. So if we compare that to the market over that same period of time, if you'd just gone and bought a basket of shares in the ASX, you would have made 7% per annum. So you lost 31 versus making 7. Uh, it's basically lost money every single year apart from 2019. Somehow it's trading below consensus, as in um, I can't see why consensus is where it is. The chair and the CEO have been buying shares, but I think Michael summed it up really well. You know, when they were uh, sort of in aggregation mode and buying all these businesses on the cheap, that was all well and good, but you know, that's sort of come to an end. So certainly not one that I'd be uh, terribly interested in at this stage. Okay, all right. But uh, thank you for sending that suggestion in, Cyrus, and uh, good analysis there from both uh, Andrew and Michael. Um, Andrew June wants a view on Aristocrat Leisure, the uh, uh, big poker machine manufacturer on a, on a global scale um, uh, for the September quarter reported 6% decline in operating revenue, 32% uh, reduction in earnings, EBITDA, um, but kept dividends uh, where they were. So, um, so management confident of a rebound in a Aristocrat. Yeah, probably my favourite company we're going to talk about today. I'm sorry, I've spoiled it 14 minutes in, but uh, yeah, look, I, uh, I I really like this business. It's uh, it's a really well-run business. Uh, you know, again, I use those sort of returns versus the market over the last five years. If you put uh, money into uh, Aristocrat, you would be up 30% per annum over the last five years relative to the market up nine. So it's been a it's been a cracking investment. And arguably, it's still cheap, Koshi. You know, the PE is 29 times versus that forecast EPS growth of about 55%. It's a great return on equity. And it's been a tough old environment to be operating in with a number of casinos closed. 
that that digital business of theirs is kicking big goals. It's now about 57% of total revenue. And as more jurisdictions allow online gaming, you can only see that increasing further. It's trading well below consensus. Probably the only thing I'd sort of maybe comment on, and we might, if we have time, talk about this at the end, is around some potential ESG-style issues, but we'll put that to it aside. Overall, uh, like it a lot, and I've got plenty of clients who own it, and I'm very comfortable with that. Okay. So ESG, of course, is the, the ethical filter that you, you put on your investing as well. That a lot of people well, do. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And I know that Michael and I had no choice on this list, but there's about four companies today that there's actually potential ESG, uh, environmental slash ethical, social and governance issues. And investors are looking more and more at these uh, filters for the want of a better term. And so even though it may be a great company, if it sort of fails an ESG yeah. filter, you may knock it out from that perspective. But if we put that to an aside just for a sec, really like aristocrat a lot. Okay. Let's talk about that maybe halfway through um, into the second half of the show on, you know, just how how you impose that filter or, or whether you do is investing about uh, environment, sustainability, um, governance at all. Um, so, yeah, interesting discussion uh, coming up in about 20 minutes. Uh, Michael, what do you think of Aristocrat? Yeah, I'm in agreement here. It's probably the favourite company on the list today. Um, it's right. one that we hold yeah. for clients and have held for clients for, uh, for a long time. Um, it and has would you put them in now down. at 34? Yeah, absolutely. 34? I mean, they've obviously had a little bit of a headwind in the last sort of 12 months or so, given yeah. COVID. But if you look at how fast they were growing pre-COVID and where they're likely to grow once COVID is in the back uh, rear vision mirror, then it is looking quite cheap. Yeah. Um, so from our perspective, obviously the casinos business, the poker machine business is the one that everyone's familiar with. And even in this environment, they have been taking market share despite the fact that revenue from that business has been in a slide. But it's this, the online social digital gaming that we think has enormous mm -hmm. growth potential. And they continue to win market share in that area at the moment. Revenue growth of 32% in their most recent update. Um, so recent acquisitions, or not that recent these days, but Big Fish um, and Plantarium, I think it was, a couple of years ago, really gave them the foothold in that digital social gaming, nothing to do with casinos, nothing to do with gaming or betting. Um, and they've really started to get some momentum there. And obviously COVID helped with that side of the business, given sure. everyone was sitting at home playing computer <laughs> games or working, one of the two. So um, now for us, it, it's a good balance sheet, well-managed company, good exposure into the US and growing markets. Um, so we continue to like okay. it and would continue to buy it at these prices. Okay. June, big tick for aristocrat leisure there from both Andrew and Michael. Um, Michael, Adam wants a view on James Hardy, the um, big fibre cement mm -hmm. manufacturing uh, business that uh, Australian based, but uh, huge operations uh, around the world. So to class it in that building materials sector. Uh, big in the United States uh, and also Europe and Canada and uh, throughout Asia. Yeah. Uh, James Harding? Yeah, so it's probably best of breed of all these manufacturing construction type businesses. Um, you look at the US and housing starts in the US have really started to pick up. I think yeah. we've seen interest rates are so low and, and house prices really around the world have been going gangbusters. There's yeah. been sort of house price inflation and James Hardy should be a beneficiary of that. Um, they've really had a very good quarter last quarter with their update. So from our perspective, it's a business in a very good position. Um, typically, it can be quite lumpy because of some of the contracts in this in this area. Uh, and for that reason, we don't hold it, but we probably wish we did looking at that chart. <laughs> uh, would I buy it now? 
probably not either, um, just because it has run so hard, it is looking expensive relative to some peers. However, it has probably got those runs on the board um, relative to the peers. So you could argue that these valuations and these prices are justified um, given where we are in the cycle. But we just feel as though they're probably better alternatives at better prices, although this business has shown themselves to be quite good. Right, okay, so a no for it's you. It's a no from me on valuation right. grounds. Okay, all right. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? Uh, look, it's, uh, it's now headquartered in Ireland. If you remember, it sort of started here and then it uh, went to the Netherlands and has now made its way to, to Dublin. Um, look, it's up 21% over the last five years. You certainly can't fault it from a financial perspective. And its return on equity is great. It's a 33% ROE uh, relative, uh, sorry, strong ROE. And if you look at the margin, like they're making about a 13% margin relative to CSR at 6% and Boral at 3%. So they're certainly, as Michael says, uh, best of breed relating to their competitors. Certainly it's fully priced. I mean, consensus is 40 bucks, they're 40 bucks. And you've got a, um, a PE of 30 relative to forecast earnings growth of only around 14%. So on a valuation basis, I'm out. I, I, I note keenly that, uh, well, certainly the data that I'm reading suggests that the CEO is trousering $2.3 million a year, earning $2.3 million a year and owns no shares in the business. I find that uh, interesting. Uh, but I have to say, Koshi, I'm out on an ESG basis on this one. And I know we'll talk about that more in a second, but you know the the back history relating to asbestos and all that sort of stuff. I'm just no, no interest in this business at all. Wow. Okay. So so even though the asbestos, like blue sky mining, which was midnight oils hit, was basically about asbestos. Um, so it's a long time ago. Um, why would it carry over into your decision making now? I'm not saying it's the main determinant. The main determinant relates to the valuation. You right, know, like okay. at 20 bucks, you know, I'm, I'm probably interested again. But, you know, if we're, we're sticking everything in the melting pot together, right. I mean, ESG... So you, so you wouldn't that, be in CSR either? No. On that basis? I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of things. I mean, I know we'll talk about this in a sec, but there's probably about 100 companies out of the top 200 you could screen out if you had a true ESG bias. Right. So... This is okay. not one of them, but certainly on a valuation basis alone, I'm not interested in Hardy's. Okay. All right. Um, now, Andrew Simone wants a view on uh, Nick Scarling. You talk about retailers delivering a, a, a return, five-year return on capital employed, 47.2% per year. Good double-digit growth there. Um, of course, it's the, uh, the furniture sort of uh, retailer does a bit of manufacturing as well um a family business that was listed still run by the family what do you think of nick yeah. scarling yeah and you're right the md uh, still owns 13 percent of the company so i actually like this business starting to get a bit pricey i mean consensus is 920 i think they're about 860 70 at the moment but a 52 percent return on shareholders funds koshi i mean that's extraordinary oh, so that's they've done incredibly well uh no doubt and again chart bottom left top right but the thing you need to keep in mind is they've probably been a beneficiary relating to covid that you know people haven't been able to travel so what am i going to do i'm going to go and do up my home so will that pass will that thematic pass as people albeit you know probably the end of next year early 2022 before they're able to travel freely again is that going to be a problem for them 
but uh, you know, share price is up 23% over the last five years. Um, and it's got a great profit margin as well. It's a 15% profit margin. So I quite like this business. I'd struggle on a valuation basis, so it's probably a hold. But on uh, on any weakness, I'd be certainly buying it on okay. weakness hold for now. And Michael, it's a great business model. As we all know, anyone who's bought a couch, sort of everyone's been at home sitting on their couch going, well, maybe I need a new couch. And you go into Nick Scarly and they go, yep, have we got a couch for you? But in eight to 10 weeks time, we'll yep. del- deliver it to you. So they don't start making the thing until you've actually bought it, which well, is a great model. It's a great model. They don't have any inventory yeah. um, to hold all the stock and stuff like that. So that's worked really well for them. Doesn't seem to deter people at all. No. Customization is a big thing that people like yep. these days. Um, and they've definitely benefited from the housing boom over many years in this country. Uh, it's actually one we had held for clients in the past, but going back a couple of years when the housing market first started to fall off its perch, that's when we exited. Um, initially, it looked like a great idea because the share price in Nick Scarly fell, but has since well recovered. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a well-run business. Talking of best of breed, this probably fits into that category as well. Um, would I buy it at this point in the cycle, potentially? Um, look, we're just a little bit concerned over the price, um, whether or not we saw during COVID a lot of that demand pulled forward, given that people were at home, people were in receipt of JobKeeper, JobSeeker, probably more than they were earning in some cases in their day-to-day job, maybe going out and spending money on these sorts of things. So that might mean that there's a bit of a, a lag in demand going forward, given that yeah. people might have brought that forward. So. We'll just rather sit on our hands and watch this one play out uh, in the short term. But if the housing market starts to get some serious wheels and we start to see the construction market in apartments and that sort of thing start to pick up again, then Nick Scarly would probably be a beneficiary right. of that. So a, a no at this price yes. and, until you see a greater trend in the, yeah. in the housing market. But if you've got Nick Scarly uh, and you've ridden it up. Yeah, well, that's right. If you've got yeah. capital gains and all that sort of thing, and just the more. fact that their yeah. dividend per shares have grown over time as well, you're probably sitting on an effective yield of over 10%. Yeah. Um, you've got some capital gains there to consider too. Yeah. So it's a, a great quality business. There's no doubt about that. But we just want to wait and see how things normalise in the economy first, just to yeah. see whether their, their big uh, run up in earnings is actually something that's sustainable or whether it was something brought forward because of COVID. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and you get the feeling you don't buy couches very often, do you? No, so, that's right. <laughs> there's, there's been a big push as, from what, uh, exactly what you're saying. Has all the purchasing yeah. been concertinated in, into one, one? That's right. So there's a home improvement market, which is something to watch. The construction industry, yeah. new apartments. Although we're not getting much migration, we are getting a lot of expats coming home. So there is still yeah, some drive. Yes, yeah, bit to play out. Okay. All right, Michael James wants a view on Tassel uh, Group, the uh, the big producer of Atlantic salmon yep. here in Australia. It's salmon farming, processing, exporting um, out of Tasmania. Yeah, so the business looks relatively cheap on, on 10 times earnings. It's by no means very expensive, um, but it can be a cyclical business. Um, they do rely a lot on the international markets. They've got a very high quality product, a lot of good and high quality brand names. And COVID on one hand was a negative because they weren't exporting as much to overseas markets. However, they were seeing a big pickup in their, in their, um, in, in their sales through shopping centers and supermarkets, sorry. So it's a company that um, is sort of diversifying away from salmon as well. They're actually now moved into prawns 
and they've got a big deal with coals whereby they actually generate more per unit than they do on a unit or a kilogram of salmon from prawns. But the business can be quite cyclical just given it's a farming company basically, yeah. an aqua business yeah, type it's an company. And so it can be cyclical and that's probably the reason why the PE ratio is yeah. so low uh, because you can't really predict with any certainty that future earnings path. But it, it's a good quality company that should do quite well over time as the emerging markets in Asia and stuff develop their tastes and, and become wealthier. But it never really works as simply as that. There's a lot of inputs that go into it all, whether that's currency, whether that's yeah. their yield from their, from their harvest, if you like, whether there's disease. I know back, going back a few years, one of their competitors, Huon, um, I think had an issue down in Tasmania with some organisms getting into their yeah. their salmon farms. So there's all these things to consider. Okay, so a no, a no from on, me on Tassel as well. Um, Andrew, what about you? I, I was quite surprised when the export figures came out uh, the other day, despite the very sort of very public and media headlines on China leaving two million dollars worth of lobster exports sort of on, on the tyre mark in China. Uh, fish, <coughs> crustaceans were, had a massive increase in, in exports in the last quarter. Yeah, it's only about 25% of their business, but it's still a substantial part. You yeah. know, it's $100 million a year, so it's certainly nothing to sneeze at. But, uh, you know, I, with due respect to the Chinese, they're basically just trying to sort of hurt us where it doesn't hurt them. Yeah. Um, you know, when they start doing things like iron ore and coal, I'll probably start paying more attention at the moment. They're just sort yeah. of doing a bit of, you know, finger pointing rather than shoving. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I think from a tassel point of view, you might you'd remember uh, vividly, Koshi, the first time that we met virtually back in May. I, I know it's something that's stuck with you for many months now. And um, tassel is actually the first company that uh, we spoke about. And uh, how much do you think the share price has changed since we spoke about it, Koshi? Yeah, not much. Two, two cents would be the correct answer to that is question. That right. Wow. Two Where cents. Is the, the, the rest of the market has shot up and our market now has wiped out overall all of the losses from, uh, from the May crash. Um, and most stocks recovered. This one hasn't. So, you know, and I think Michael's hit it on the head. There's a few moving parts, seasonality, etc. I guess I look at the fact, though, the dividend sort of worries me a little bit, whether that dividend is, is sustainable. Um, certainly, if the forecasts hold true, that concern will abate, but um, it certainly is looking a little bit uh, under threat in the shorter term. I like the fact that the CEO and the chair have both been buying shares. As you know, that's one of my little measures. Yep. And it's trading well under consensus, you know, around that 370 versus consensus of 445. The, the the share price has gone nowhere, in fact, for five years. It's down 0.48 of 1% over five years relative to 9% if you just bought the ASX. So it's a good business. It's cheap, but it's going nowhere. Yep. And I can see no reason to be buying it at this stage. Okay. All right. Let's just recap our five stocks. First up, our stock of the day, APA, a yes from Andrew. And a yes from Michael if you're a conservative investor, not if you're a growth investor. Uh, G8 Education, a no from both of them. Aristocrat, a yes from both uh, Michael and Andrew. Um, Aristocrat is uh, in the calls portfolio at the moment, so it stays there. Uh, James Hardy, a no from both um, Michael and Andrew. It's 
also in the calls portfolio, so now goes out. Um, Nick Scarley, a hold from, uh, from Andrew, a no from Michael and Tassel, a no from both of them as well. As I said here at uh, the call, we have our own portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July. Any stocks that gets two ticks from our expert panel goes into it. If it comes up again it, and doesn't get the two ticks like James Hardy did, it then goes out of the portfolio. If you take a look at uh, the performance in the last week, up one and three quarter percent for the month, four uh, percent, and for the year to date, twenty three and a half percent. Take a look at some of the stocks that have been recently added by our expert panel: Ampol, South Thirty Two, Redbubble, Elmo Software, and Credit Clear. Stocks that have come out include Technology One and Phineas Corporation. And uh, today, James Hardy comes out as well. Now, if you want to take a look at all the stocks in the portfolio, go to wasbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Coming up after uh, one o'clock, Casper Resources listed on the stock exchange today following an $8 million raise. Chief Executive Greg Miles joins the team on the Pulse about the first day of trade. That's at 1.30 Eastern Daylight Time. Now... Uh, let's take a, a quick look, though, at the ESG area. That filter, sort of almost an ethical, environmental, social filter that some people put a, across their portfolio and their decision making. Um, Andrew, how much of a role should that play? Oh, Koshi, that's a really interesting question. Um, we're, we're certainly, um, in one way, sort of drifting into morality, aren't we? You know, yep. some people are saying. If they make money, I'm I'm just interested in that. Um, I, I would suggest to you, though, that maybe another way of looking at it is that by applying an ESG filter, it's almost an early financial warning of a potential issue that uh, if they're not running their business in an ethical manner, they're not conscious of the environment, they're not conscious relating to uh, sustainability, or they have poor corporate governance or all of the above, they might be making money now, but it's highly unlikely they'll be making make, making money in 18 months or two years' time. Right. So in, in the past, uh, I mean, I've been doing this 20-odd years now, people say, well, look, I don't want to buy alcohol or I don't want to buy gambling or, you know, very early in the piece tobacco type stocks. But it really has evolved over the last couple of years now. And some of those ones that we were just mentioning before about some of those companies around, well, you know, should you be sort of... Um, tar in current management for the sins of previous management if we're talking james hardy as an example um what's the culture of the business like and if we look at sort of etfs which as you know sort of one of my favorites um that whole space is seeing significant growth in australia there's only about two billion dollars out of about 73 billion dollars of etfs at the moment but take blackrock as an example blackrock is suggesting globally over the next 10 years, about $1.2 trillion worth of monies will move into ETFs that have an ESG focus because of that financial risk warning that I was talking about before. Mm. Okay, but but Michael, how big a role does it play for you? Because it becomes very personal too, does it, on, on your own views? For example, a lot of people might say, we won't invest in a big four bank because it lends money to a coal miner and yep. we don't agree in fossil fuels it's a tough one because each individual will be different what one person finds ethical and socially acceptable another post person won't and where do you draw the line because 
You could argue buy now, pay later, for instance, is facilitating or indebting younger people who are probably most vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, the big supermarkets, are they putting small grocers out of business? The big banks, are they facilitating, whether it's intentional or unintentional, money, money laundering? So like you can draw the line wherever you want. It's, yeah. it's very, very difficult to have one cookie cutter approach for each person's preferences. There are different ETFs and, and funds out there that say they're ESG and that's their sole focus and often that's a good place to direct people if they have a, a serious uh, aversion to these things but it does make your investing a lot harder. In recent years ESG has actually done really really well because you think about the sectors that have done well, tech tends to not be that disputable, healthcare, how yeah. virtuous could you possibly be more than, than healthcare and they're the sectors that have really done well so ESG is actually probably done better than the market in Australia in, in many cases. But I think as an advisor, you just gotta have conversations with people. Um, you get to know your client, not necessarily financially over time, but just personality wise over time. Uh, and if someone tells you early on that, look, we don't want gaming, we don't want alcohol, we don't want mining, then you can facilitate a portfolio accordingly. Yeah. But yeah. if they want the little nitty gritty sort of stuff, then it does make your life a lot harder if you're yeah. not a focused fund where your sole task is to try and yeah. eradicate some of these companies. Yeah. Koshi, yeah, sorry, Koshi, can, can I just pick up on what Michael said? Michael's spot on, just to give a little bit of colour around that, there's a, there's a new ETF that's just been put out by State Street, E200, and it's sort of the sister fund to STW, and of course STW was the first ETF to list here in Australia, sort of the flagship. If you just want to try and buy the market, STW or IOZ or A200 are sort of the three that you might immediately go to. And if you look at the returns of E200, which is the ethical version of, ST, of STW, lots of acronyms, um, the difference in return has been 0.2 of 1%. Mm. So you're 0.2 of 1% worse off, but you've screened out about 107 companies. Now, part of that is because of its methodology around market capitalization. But as an example, it's down 0.2 relative to the index, but it doesn't hold CBA. And it doesn't hold CBA because of the concerns around AML. Right. Um, I would expect, and I can't speak for State Street, but I'd expect they'd be taking a good hard look at Westpac uh, for the same issues that they've got with AML. And I would also expect Rio Tinto with the, the, what they did with those caves in, in WA. Right. So you are, Michael is spot on that you're not foregoing performance uh, relative mm -hmm. to having an, an ESG view. And in the case of, um, of S&P, Standard & Poor's, they've got around 74, 75 different ESG style filters to actually apply an ESG score to a company. But you're right, it's, Michael's right, like it's a very subjective case and it comes down to, you know, what is important to you. But I guess my takeaway for my clients and viewers is that, you know, having an ESG view should not necessarily mean an impact on performance. No, no good point. And uh, uh, when, when you're happy, uh, how long does a company get back into the good books? Yeah. For example, if there's a governance issue, <laughs> good point. does a chief executive mm -hmm. get fired for it? Does that mean it comes back in? All that sort of stuff. So as uh, both Andrew and Michael are saying, very, very complex because it depends on what you think as the individual investor, but something worth bearing in mind. All right, Andrew, uh, Ben wants uh, a view on Paradigm Biopharmaceuticals. This is uh, uh, a biotech uh, company in the, uh, um, it has a, a treatment for arthritis and uh, which has just been given the go ahead for clinical trials by the 
uh, European Medicines Agency, which gave the share price a bit of a kick along in the last couple of months. Um, a really interesting um, biotech, medical tech business. It is, Koshi. As you know, I'm a simple type of guy and my head was just hurting reading all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, like it's, it's a great business and, you know, we'll talk about the, the financials in a second, but I don't profess for a moment to understand how they sort of using repurposing drugs and uh, to treat swelling. I mean, bottom line, if it works, great, especially if yeah. you're suffering from that. Um, look, it's got plenty of cash on hand. It's got nearly 100 million in the bank and they're only burning through about 6 million a quarter. So they've certainly got plenty of money there. It's up 55% for the last five years. So it's been a, a ripper of an investment. I would note that short interest is rising though. So that basically means people that are sort of taking the view that potentially the share price might come under a bit of pressure in the short term. And it's trading uh, well above um, consensus. Consensus is about $2.54. So uh, to me, given that, you know, there's certainly plenty of upside in it, but at the end of the day, it is a punt. Uh, so I'm, I'm probably out. But as I said, coming back to my, I'm a simple type of guy, it probably just comes back to me not actually being able to understand it. And, you know, from Michael's point of view, he raised a really good point just before, like as advisors, part of our job is to be able to explain this stuff to clients. So if I can't explain it to a client, you know, it makes it sort of hard for me to actually yep. get a client engaged in it. I'm not saying it's a bad company at all, far from it, but I think it certainly takes someone with a higher level of intellect than me. Yep, Michael? Uh, this particular company, never heard of it until today, but it's no minnow, it's sort of 650 mil market cap. It's got a number of clinical trials uh, on the go at the moment. Um, so look, who knows, if those clinical trials prove to be successful, then this business I'm sure could do some wonderful things, but it's, yep. A binary outcome at the moment maybe because they've got a few different clinical trials across a few different uh, disorders or diseases increases their chance of success but uh, long term it's very difficult to predict at yeah. this point in time so i'm afraid i can't shine much more light on it yeah. other than that given and it's a business it's a, i'm not coming across stocks that um as you say uh, when you hope it succeeds because it's just great australian technology yeah. and medical technology if it does but if you put your investment hat on, it is picking that point yeah. uh, where it takes off because they, even though it's got a lot of cash, a lot of similar companies burn up a yeah. lot of cash and it's that long road in clinical trials and getting accepted by the, if, if you can do it, it's fantastic. Yeah, but, but you need to keep- Where do you get the timing? You need to keep raising money. That's basically yeah. it to fund these clinical trials. Some of them cost more than others, depending on the number of participants yeah. and those things. So it is a long, long process. You need to be willing to, to stay the course um, and you need to be able to have a stomach that can withstand a lot of volatility. Yep, but some great Australian yep. companies doing it at the moment, which is fabulous to see. Um, Michael, Tim wants a view on Suncorp, the uh, big Queensland-based yep. financial services conglomerate, basically into everything is a um, general insurance, life superannuation, uh, banking. Yeah, look, it's a diversified financial service provider, but their major business is the general insurance. Yep. Uh, and it's a tough, tough industry, general insurance. There's increasing competition at the moment in Australia when it comes to the, the big insurers. Um, obviously, you've got things like very, very low interest rates globally, very, very low bond yield. So it's very hard for them to generate any return on your premiums, uh, which makes it harder for them to meet their obligations. They do have a banking arm as well, which isn't insignificant, but compared to the big four, um, their credit rating's far lower, their 
costs of borrowing, wholesale funding costs are much higher, so it's harder for them to compete on that level too. Uh, they've also got a concentration risk with their exposure to Queensland. So again, this is a company where if you take it back even 10, 15, 20 years, you'll probably see the share price hasn't done much over that time. Um, it's neither a, a, a bank and it's neither a, a full general insurer. And insurers have really done it tough anyway for as far as I can see. So yep. it's not going to change, in my opinion, anytime soon. I do think that the, the big four banks are trading pretty cheaply, uh, although they have rallied quite hard now off, off their, their lows from a few months ago. So we do think there is some value in the likes of ANZ, Westpac, uh, NAB, in, in that they're trading below book value or very low multiple of book value. So that's where we will be focusing our attention as we start to come out of this recession globally uh, would be those cyclicals with the quality runs on the board. All right. Now, Andrew, I know this would pass your Queensland filter. Let's forget <laughs> ESG. You've got ESGQ um, as, a, as a filter. But what do you think of Suncorp? Uh, look, uh, first of all, I've never had to say this in the six months I've been on the call, but Michael, I have to take exception to the Queensland comment, you know, and the concentration risk. What's wrong with that, mate? Seriously, you know, like, seriously, have, have a look at yourself. Have a good hard look at yourself. Uh, seriously, um, I'm not actually a big fan, Koshy, and I, I feel like I'm going to get railroaded. I can already hear people banging on the doors with their pitchforks, but... Um, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, and there's a few reasons why I don't like it. The bank assurance model, so you know you talk about involved in everything, um, it doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work. And uh, Suncorp is a classic example. Michael summed it up perfectly in this part of his comments, as opposed to the rest of them, where he was basically saying that the share price has gone nowhere. And he is absolutely spot on. It's actually down 1% per annum over the last five years relative to buying the market where you would have got 9%. Yeah. It's trading at consensus, but look, there's a few things going on. In the very short term, uh, insurance companies are under immense pressure because of these COVID um, claims and business interruption insurance. And we saw IAG have to go out and raise a whole heap of money in a hurry because of that recent New South Wales Supreme Court um, case. But from a broader point of view, there's no money in insurance. Mm. Like insurance companies don't make money on insurance. Insurance companies make money on taking your money and investing it. And look, it's a very simple uh, analogy, but say on average, it's 18 months from when you pay your premium, premium rather, to when you actually go and make a claim. So in that 18 months, they've got to try and invest that as best as they can because they know you're going to make a claim. It's not actually making money on the insurance side. And markets have been tough. Yep. So they're not making money on the insurance piece. Uh, I mean, if we're talking Suncorp, you've also got exposure to a whole heap of cyclones. We're coming into cyclone season. And then that sort of raises the whole issue around climate change. Are they pricing premiums accordingly relative to the risk that's there? Lots of reasons not to like this one, sadly, yep. Koshi. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, some businesses are just too hard <laughs> to make money out of. A lot easier alternatives out there listed on the market. Uh, Andrew, Julie wants a view on Hotel Property Group. Um, as the name implies, they're a, um, a property portfolio. Recently bought um, three, added three properties to the portfolio, Brisbane, Northern Melbourne and, and Airlie Beach. Um, gone through a uh, $48 million raise as well. And I see you snuck a, a South Australian influence in here as well. So that was a, a nice touch. Well done. 
Um, but predominantly uh, Queensland-based uh, pubs and hotels, about 40 of the 43, three in South Australia. It, look, it's a REIT. So basically, you know, it's just focused on these sort of hotels. Coles is predominantly the tenant. So you've got a, a high degree of confidence relating to who the, the, the counterpart is, albeit it's concentration risk. It's one company, but, you know, Coles goes bad. I think we're all in a lot of trouble. Uh, it's returned 11% per annum over the last five years. And it pays a, a great dividend. It's got that 6% per annum dividend. I mean, the ROE is okay. It's about 4%. In, in this sort of REIT space, we prefer sort of industrials or logistics. So, you know, I'd be thinking of companies such as Goodman as an example. Yeah. But this has got a very defensive bent, good counterparty, strong dividend. So certainly no, no harm in this one. It's, okay. it's a hold for me, but it's harmless. Yep. Uh, it's a, a good quality REIT, I, I think. It's very specialised and our preference for REITs is if they are specialised. And if you want exposure to uh, hotels and, and pubs basically in Queensland, then this gives you that exposure. It pays a, a good distribution of about 6%. It's not frank given it's a sort of trust structure, but that's okay if you're getting that sort of level. Um, they've got great quality tenants. Basically, it's a, a joint venture between Coles and another party. And which most of their leases go to, or Woolworths and another party. So long, uh, long-term leases, I think 11 years is the whale of their, their portfolio. Um, there will be probably some re- leases coming up for renewal in the next couple of years that might not achieve the same rents that they got a couple of years ago, but that's to be expected and probably already factored into the price. Um, so for that reason, I think it's, it's not a bad exposure. The question is, what is your view on hotel prices in Queensland and probably yeah. anyone's guess uh, at the moment. Because if you look at the market cap, it's essentially the value of their assets minus the, the value of their debt. So unless the value of those assets go up, you're not going to get a huge uplift in right. market cap um, or, or value of their assets. That, that will drive the market cap. So for us, it depends on your view of that. I'm not going to say it's a buy just because yeah. I haven't gone through and done yeah. my analysis on hotel prices in Queensland, but as far as REITs go, this looks like a very high quality specialist REIT. Right, okay. All right, uh, Vikram wants a view, uh, Michael, on Carnarvon uh, Petroleum, oil and gas explorer um, based around the northwest shelf of Western Australia, had some sort of good results, uh, analysis over the last couple of months on the Apis, Petrus and Kepler targets in the Dorado discovery yep. of the Northwest Shelf. Um, what do you think? Yeah, so they're basically a junior partner um, on this Dorado asset with Santos. Santos owned 80%, Carnarvon owned 20%, but it's meant to be the most promising uh, oil field out there or gas field out there and, and most promising recent discoveries. So that good, is meant good to, be to be with, a good partner Santos. to be with. Both of them in many ways are strapped to, uh, of cash I- in some sense. So probably limits some of their other investments during this period whilst they focus on the Dorado investment. But if they can get that thing functioning, um, it will be highly profitable for them. And they reckon that it could even be profitable with oil sub $40, which is Mm. not something many Australian companies can say or many companies globally outside of the Gulf. So from my point of view, it's a high risk play on the energy space. Um, As the oil price recovers, uh, will Carnarvon do well? Possibly, but because they're not a a producer at this point in time, they're not receiving any immediate benefit from a rising oil price. So you're probably better off if you want exposure to a rising oil price to look at some of the other 
more established names that are in production at this point. Right. This like is definitely a a, like a Santos, right. um, an oil search or a Woodside if you want a lower risk, lower uh, beta play. Okay. All right. Andrew? Uh, yeah, I think Michael's been looking at a lot of my notes, so we'll have a talk about that afterwards, Michael. Um, <laughs> probably uh, the only comment I'd make is they are holding a little bit of cash, so that's not an immediate concern, but with a lot of these um, explorers, it is a massive concern because, as Michael rightly points out, if you haven't got the cash flow coming in from production, uh, that is a big issue for them. Uh, we prefer uh, Santos or Beach is the other one that I'd probably throw in the mix there as well. Certainly agree with Michael's suggestions, but I'd like to throw Beach in there as well. CEO and Chair have been buying shares over the last 12 months, so I'm, I'm probably out on this one. Uh, and again, without pushing the ESG thing too hard, um, to some people this might sort of have you out. If you look at what's happening in the UK, you know, not selling... Um, combustible, um, so not selling petrol cars after 2030 and right. so forth, and what's the demand for oil, and you know, that's a big rabbit hole that you could go down. That's yep. certainly something that might play into your minds as well, but I'm, uh, I'm a no on this one. Okay. Uh, Andrew, our final stock, uh, Alex wants a view on GWA Group. Uh, basically, they're in the, the building fixtures market, mainly uh, bathrooms and kitchens and things like that. And a Queensland company. Um, so, yeah, sorry, it's wearing a bit thin, isn't it? Um, it's Coroma is probably their, their main brand. Uh, they've also got uh, Methven uh, in New Zealand as well. Look, they've been under pressure due to COVID. They've got pretty good margins, about 11%. Uh, if you compare that to their major competitor, Reese, Reese's margins are only about 4%. Share price is up, as we can see. Uh, it's 12 months, but over the last five years, it's been up about 15% per annum. And it's actually trading above consensus, so consensus is about 273 relative to the share price. It's sort of the 289s. Look, I think it's fully priced, if not a bit overpriced. You're being asked to pay 18 times earnings for EPS growth of that 9%. I might add, though, that if you're looking at Reese, you're being asked to pay 36 times for only 7% forecast growth. So it's a good business. It's a lot of the comments that we've been making about Hardy's, you could probably put in there relating to... Um, homes and construction and so forth, but it's certainly uh, fully priced in my mind. Okay. Uh, it's a well-known brand, I think, sort of in Australia particularly. If anyone's ever been to the bathroom, you'll probably recognise this brand, yeah. the, the Chrome or whatever it's called. I can't even remember what it is. <laughs> that's how, that's how recognisable it is. Hang on. But, you, you've got builders in your place today, probably looking at the bathroom. You've probably bought some of their taps. Nah, probably. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not the expensive ones. <laughs> but um, they purchased another business recently, which was pretty close to the top of the cycle, paid pretty high prices. There is some competition building in the market at the moment with, I think, a European company coming in and really putting pressure on margins. And if you look at their balance sheet, although the margins are quite high, they are coming down slightly, right. um, and that could be a sign of things to come. Their revenue's been under pressure. Their earnings have been under pressure the last couple of years as well. So it's always difficult to get excited about a company with those sorts yeah. of balance sheet fundamentals. Um, so for mine, although it is an established brand, it could suffer from the issue of being the incumbent dominant player where now you start to get competitors coming in and nipping at their heels and yeah. taking away some of that dominance. So. In order to maintain that dominance, what often has to happen is they have to cut prices to remain competitive, and that can then hurt margins, hurt yeah. earnings, etc. So there's a bit of a negative feedback loop that potentially could unfold here, and for that reason, I'll steer clear. All right, let's just recap the final five stocks. Uh, Paradigm, 
um, and no, Suncorp and no uh, hotel property group. Uh, a hold from Andrew, he prefers Goodman, which isn't uh, a hotel REIT, it's more an industrial property REIT. Um, Michael's saying uh, hotel property is a high quality REIT because, and will run uh, focusing on that, hot, uh, that hotel area. Uh, Carnarvon, uh, a no from Andrew, high risk from, um, from Michael, a junior uh, oil group. Um, they prefer the likes of Santos, Oil Search, uh, Beach, and a no from G for GWA. Uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial, great to see you, sir. It's good to be back. Uh, and Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. Great to see you, mate. Have a great week. Thanks, Kashi. Thanks, Michael. Now, if you want uh, any stocks that you'd like us to take a look at, put towards our expert uh, panel for their view, just email your suggestions into the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Don't forget, if you want to look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, you can do so there at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, if you want to wrap up of the day in business, markets, finance, startups, you need to subscribe to the COB, the close of business. And Nadine and Scuddy wrap it all up. It's in your inbox at 5.30 Eastern every afternoon. Uh, to get on that list, uh, go to osbiz.co slash join. And uh, coming up on the Startup Daily Show, which looks at anything to do with uh, unlisted companies seeking capital or startup scale-ups, venture capital. Gonna be joined by the founders of the newest non-alcoholic beverage to hit the market, Heaps Normal. Uh, the founders of that, Peter Brennan and Andy Miller will be joining the team, um, plus a number of other founders and venture capitalists giving their views on what's out there in the market. That's between 2 and 3 p.m. this afternoon. So a lot happening on Ausbiz for the rest of the day. Hope you can stick around and join us back after the break.